Hello, and welcome to a Mind Matters podcast presented by A Light for Change, where we talk about the who, what, where, why, and how we as a community can make positive changes. The when is up to all of us, and it starts with you. Before I start, let's get into a positive zone, and I'll share my thoughts on a question from Graduate Thrivers Paz Cards. The card drawn is blue for values and self-esteem. And the question is, what are you good at? I'm very good at studying, a little too skilled at finding a positive outlook on things, not too shabby at bringing the wow to events I plan, way too good at pushing myself beyond my limits, adept at seeing the whole picture and all its minute working parts, talented at finding a solution to what I'm confronted with, and a decent example of being compassionate. This is Season 1, Mental Health, Episode 9, Addicted Minds Are Struggling, Not Hedonist. Addictions are hard to fathom for someone who has never been considered an addict or even have dabbled in something that is considered addictive in their consideration. This is why I think it is important to help others understand addictions better so we can all shine our lights a little better on how to help instead of how to judge. Addictions is another topic that society has narrowed the consideration of to an extreme with focus on illicit activity, which has caused us to forget the scope of what we can be addicted to, lose our understanding that choosing to numb is a byproduct of having something that is felt needs numbing, and misinterpret how we should interact with someone showing signs of addiction. Understanding these bits of information is a key part to being able to help shine a light on addiction and its interaction with someone's mental health. Addiction is defined as the fact or condition of being habitually dependent on a particular substance, thing, or activity. I can see that this statement is rather broad, but it would seem this not so is not so common sense. Public opinion seems very sure on who addicts are, what someone can be addicted to, and what an addiction looks like. It is generally considered a poor person's affliction to be addicted based on the fallout of effects of what we consider addiction. The reality is that there are addicts in every socioeconomic class, most cultures, and all generations. There is mental health commercials that make an awesome point using children to say how no one wants to grow up and be an addict, but despite the validity of the point, it really highlights my point of how addicts are considered. We separate our idea of addiction from facts, though we are all aware of them. For example, Even though we recognize alcoholism as an addiction, we still don't classify them as an addict, just substance abusers. The same goes for other forms of addiction. Some we go as far far as to glorify. Workaholics are praised for their dedication. Fitness fanatics are idealized. Overtly studious in a traditional sense are given prestige and equipment to keep learning. And beauty companies have us throwing our money at them to feed our dependence on looking beautiful. Food addictions are really the only one that is getting proper consideration 
but again, only in extreme cases. By the warnings, we should be careful not to eat our feelings and to notice our eating patterns in order to make changes. It is the feelings and patterns that reveal some of the most some of the things most of us are addicted to, like receiving praise, being accepted, companionship, comfort, pleasure, and intrigue. It took me a while to pinpoint how to tell if someone was an addict outside of the socially accepted parameters, but I have determined that it looks like any behavior that is consuming of a person to a degree they neglect other parts of their lives or themselves and others. I am a former addict in the conceivable sense, having wanted to numb the realities of my life away, but I'm still an addict because I constantly neglect myself to ensure others are happy and cared for. All my free time is consumed with learning to not consider with learning so that I don't consider fun time a free time thing but a fitted in so I can be told I never made time for fun I care so much about being regarded highly by my parent my my partner sorry that I sacrifice personal achievement and finances until this go around that is I am addicted to learning writing expression lists and supporting others because I crave what I feel I lack, understanding and to be understood, organization and forward momentum and support for all my capitulations. I hope that by exposing myself as I have, I will help you to see that addiction runs deep in the fabrics of our society, society but has been overlooked unless someone decides to numb away life altogether. Why would you choose to do something that alters reality to complete euphoria or nothingness, throwing the proverbial it all away and destroying everything around you for just one thing, you might ask? We all must deal with the hardships of life, right? Sure, life gives us all hardships, but we all have different experiences in life and we have lost understanding that choosing to numb is a byproduct of having something that is felt needs numbing. I have made no secret of my mental entanglement with darkness, and along the way I found that for the most I interacted with that had darkened minds, I was able to learn and understand from. There were three clear factors to developing an addiction being that there was or is a deficit of a thing that is human nature to crave, like love and belonging, that it is easier to succumb to being a failure than it is to try and never be good enough, while there's also a good number that end up there by circumstance, where it started off as fun and games, but grabbed a hold in ways not thought it would. Living a life that feels as if there is very little positive emotion is at the base of most addictions because it hurts so much, it consumes our thoughts, and often comes with physical aches and pains. Society as we know it today has all been taught from a young age to take a medicine or to use a healing aid when we are hurt or sick. 
Everyone has takes something for headaches and band-aids in their house. But we are not taught emotional hygiene. In fact, for generations, it was considered socially unacceptable to admit your mind needs care and healing. As fewer taught how to deal with negative emotional impact and fewer have knowledge on how to heal, it is human nature to refer to what we know and make the pain go away. Until recently, we didn't talk about our pain, and often, if our world included a lot of emotional pain, many, many had no one to confide in. Or at least no one worth trusting with vulnerabilities of such a taboo as the mind. When you first start to numb your pain away with things like body alteration, food, candy, alcohol, drugs, and the like, you're not addicted to it. What happens is that it works, sort of, giving short-term satisfaction. After you remember that moment of euphoria, you think of it in each moment of misery, so the next chance you can give yourself that feeling again, you do. Until one day, you're making that form of feeling good part of your normal you-time routine. And now you're an addict. Though many would say it only begins two more stages from now. Once you have a routine dose of feel-good, the miserable moments start to seem so much worse in comparison. So you sneak your feel-good in here and there to cope throughout your day. From there, it starts to affect things and society will consider you an addict. As your life starts crumbling and people start noticing, often a lot of money is going into your feel good as well. The fallout of improper coping plays in the next most common reason for addiction from my exposure to the world of addiction. But it is also the reason some people get started. Feeling like a failure really takes its toll on the psyche holding someone back to avoid repeat. Life is hard, and though we all go through failures in order to grow, for some, their exposure to being considered a failure are often and regular to a degree it limits them to believing the idea is true instead of growing from the unique failure. The draw under this mindset to addiction, I believe, rests on the narrow-mindedness of the topic and consideration as the ultimate failing. There is a reason the saying exists, if you can't beat them, join them, because it's a natural tendency to want to fit in as some form of success. Now, for most, it means to connect with the masses, to slide in your opinion over time, by example. But for the afflicted mind, it means finding the people you believe you fit in with. So if you think you are a failure, then you are going to look to fit in with those you have been taught to classify as such. Even when you have come to see yourself as a failure, the underlining knowledge you moved yourself to be surrounded with others with the same mindset, though you never forget you once thought you stood for more, creating a mental conflict, making the toxic environment you removed yourself from a reminder that you are emotionally coping starting that first form of addiction to spiral in again 
with more intense layer of blameful hatred that festers like an infection. Let's just get a tad bit lighter and move on to the third form, shall we? Circumstantial reasons, from what I can gather, seem to have a different hold on a person, more related to the physical systems and genetics, with some crossover to the other two forms, as being able to become an addict to the illicit things means having at some point put yourself in circumstances to acquire it. I have also found that non-illicit addictions are rarely associated with this form, except with addiction to relevance, which involves constantly manipulating your circumstances to be in the right place at the right time, always. And alcoholism, which isn't considered illicit because it is legal and a social normality. Actually, alcoholism is a great example of circumstantial addictions, though there is usually a little bit more to why it makes and takes a tighter mental grasp on someone. Alcohol, like any illicit drug, takes the edge off socially uncomfortable situations and is sometimes considered a rite of passage, like with alcohol having an age where you are legally allowed to consume. It is almost defined as such in more technical terms. An addiction center website defines it as illicit drugs are substances that either stimulate such as cocaine or antiphetamines or inhibit such as heroin or sedative hypnotics the central nervous system well wikipedia describes its use as one or more psychoactive drugs to induce an altered state of consciousness either for pleasure or for some other casual purpose or pastime. When a psychoactive drug enters the user's body, it induces an intoxicating effect. The problem is how recreational use becomes addiction, circumstantially by converting, by covertly, sorry, setting the stage and plotting the path you will follow. These products replicate feel-good chemicals released by the body and we are hardwired to want them, seek them out, and crave them. So it makes sense that being able to take something that rushes it through our system would be appealing. I mean, even the prescribed ones for mental health do the same thing in a safer, more regulated way. I'm addicted to tea and marijuana because I crave stable breath rate, energy to do as much as I do, and the comforting attachment to something I did with my father, who made me feel whole, seen, and understood. Some people's nervous system is more prone to not being able to get enough, usually due to a chemical imbalance, which is, pres- which is prescribed medication, can be very beneficial because self-medicating is not only de- dangerous, but can further deteriorate the chemical balance in the system by tricking the body into thinking it doesn't need to produce it naturally anymore because the supply is already full. Meaning a user will have to continue to supply it for themselves or go through the process of turning the body's natural production back on through detoxification. Circumstantial addiction is the easiest of the three forms to overcome with a good understanding support system. As a society, we have not just forgotten our role in teaching the coming generations emotional hygiene 
but we also never learned how to lead by example, resulting from decades of misinterpreting how we should interact with someone showing signs of addiction or an ability to easily become addicted. Considering most have deeply emotional storylines layered with generational trauma and negative afflictions, often an understanding support system is not really available or there are just too many players involved that need support. For those of you who see the need for someone to have a support system and believe you have the capacity to be that support, there are a few things that can be difficult. Primarily following the following three aspects. Knowing what to say to someone who is already fragile is probably the most challenging aspect, followed by how to show them support and tolerating the long tumultuous journey down the path of healing. Communication is the key to any successful relationship, but more importantly, understanding the way communication interacts with someone and yourself makes a big difference. This goes both ways as how you communicate with them will determine if you will be able to get close enough to hold their hand along the journey or not, just as much as how you handle what they communicate with you. Let's start with how you communicate. Firstly, they don't need to be shown or told they have erred. They are living it. Trust me, they know. They don't need to be told how simple it would be to just stop. Most of them have probably tried a million times on their own already. They are feeling vulnerable and are going to try to push you away. And if they let you in, they will likely have things to share that will make you uncomfortable, squeamish, or even offended. Being supportive can be like walking on eggshells, where you must politely express how the communication made you feel as an example of good emotional hygiene while still being compassionate for what they shared. Support goes beyond communication. It mostly involves just being there to point out the good in a moment, even when the moment wasn't good. Overt communal displays seem to be the socially approved way to show support with the popularized interventions, but this rarely is helpful in the moment or the long run, by the exception of circumstantial addictions. Think about your deepest, darkest, darkest secret. Now think of having to be put on the spot while someone else tells you about it in front of everyone you care about, then needing to explain yourself for it. There was a reason it was a secret. It makes you feel vulnerable. Putting someone's addiction on display can make them feel so vulnerable they want to die and will often have them running back for a release from that feeling as soon as you're done, forcing them through whatever plan you set for them. Initial interactions have to be one-on-one -on -one with lots of patience, trust, and acceptance, but ultimately they have to choose for themselves that they want to heal from the pain that led them there or want to alter their lifestyle away from the circumstances that give them that instant chemical pleasure. None of the healing journey is easy. There are often many relapses, likely going to be a lot of erratic behavior and for sure. Once you have been invited in and trusted to help tend to someone's vulnerabilities, you need to stick with them through thick and thin, unless you find yourself picking up 
the negative mindset or circumstantially getting hooked as well. Remember, for all you know, you are their only beacon of light. So keep being you. Just be there and guide them to see how to heal in each step by accepting that what is done is done, but not the sum of who they are. In conclusion, as someone who has overcome many addictive personality traits and behavioral tendencies, who admittedly is still working on more, my advice is to see people for more than just the moment and see the whole of them and wish them peace laced with hopes they will one day find joy for themselves in just being alive. Be understanding that we all cope with emotions, just some better than others. Be aware that behind every behavior, there is a story on the one living, only the one living it knows. Don't assume, but seek to be told the story, having a compassionate ear. Lastly, know your role. You can't change someone that doesn't want to or isn't ready to change, but that doesn't mean abandon them either. As I leave you to think on this topic, I challenge you to think about this mindfulness exercise until then as well. Think of all the things you do to cope with different emotions. It could be as small as biting your nails or as big as consuming illicit products regularly through the day and anything in between, even what you choose to do for work or fun. Now ask yourself, how many of those things do you do automatically, routinely by habits, or you depend on as part of your lifestyle? These are addictions, whether you agree or not. But not all addictions are bad. Some are important, like routine reflection time, <coughs> fitness, and self-care, and just need to be moderated so it doesn't become obsessive and consuming. Others, you have already pondered a few times on its effects on, in your life, and some will make you question if it's helpful or not. Just doing this self-analysis is enough for you to see <clears throat> more consciously when you are partaking in the behavior and what circumstances led to using that behavior so you can decide if you should or not more readily in the moment as time goes on giving you the control over your addiction and your ability to change it if and when you want to. I will close the conversation by drawing another card from the Positive Attitude Zone, PAS cards for short. This question will be the opening question for next episode. The card drawn is green for creative thinking, and the question is, if you won a million dollars, what would you do with it? We'll get to that next week. But in the meantime, you can get your past cards, Positive Attitude Zone, at www.graduatethrivers.com. That's spelled capital G, small r-a-d, capital U, small i-t, capital T, small h-r-i-b-e-r-s.com. Stay wonderful, wholesome, happy, open-minded, and natural. Smile as much as you can. Take care until we talk again. This has been Heidi Hardy on the Mind Matters podcast created by A Light for Change.